In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 63rd episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me, what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to the voiceamerica.com business channel. Be sure to download the app or just tune in use, using your favorite podcast app. If you missed last week's show, I interviewed Misha Rubin, who's a teacher and entrepreneur who offers transformational programs designed to help people discover meaningful careers that work for their lives. And today, my guest is returning for the second time, Dr. Heather Cairns-Lee. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm delighted to be back. Me too. Now, listeners, I had the pleasure of speaking with Heather on my 24th episode of Partner Up with Amy Carroll back in February. We discussed the power of metaphors, how to spot them, how they impact our thinking and behaviors for better or for worse, and how leaders can use their own metaphors to inspire their people. So be sure to check out that episode on February 12th. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, let me tell you a bit about Heather. And trust me, she enjoys multiple roles, one as an adjunct professor of leadership at IMD Business School in Switzerland. She's also a visiting fellow at the University of Surrey in the UK, an advisory board member member of the School of Management in Fribourg, Switzerland, and president of Business Professional Women, which is part of the world's original and largest professional women's network. Now, something I appreciate about Heather is that she enjoys crafting her life into these diverse roles while continuing to learn and to grow with new challenges. And something else I appreciate is that Heather focuses her energy on inclusive, respectful communication, creativity, fulfillment, and joy, many of qualities of life that I also appreciate. Uh, she's originally from the UK, You'll, if you haven't picked that up from her gorgeous accent already. She's traveled extensively, now lives in Switzerland, spends time with her husband, two amazing daughters. And trust me, when I say amazing, I am not underestimating these young women. Also, her fabulous garden and having great conversations, all of which I can say I have benefited from. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amy. That's such a wonderful and generous uh, introduction. Absolutely. And listeners, as a thought leader and practitioner of clean language, Heather's going to help us understand what it is and why it's important. So Heather, shall we jump in? Absolutely, let's go. Okay. So yeah, let's have you start with explaining what it, clean language is and how it was first developed. Yeah, so clean language, of course, often it raises a titter, a little laughter. Is it the opposite of dirty language? No. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get Darn it off, <laughs> off the table. Um, and in some ways, actually, it's true. It is the opposite of 
dirty language, but let me explain what I mean by that. So clean language was um, is a way of asking questions, so very simple questions and in a specific manner. So in a nutshell, that is what clean language is. Oh, asking simple. specific questions in a specific manner. Absolutely. Okay. And it is deceptively simple to when when you look at it on the surface, and yet it can have profound um, impact and results when when used with with care with with people. How it was developed? You asked me that. Well, there was a um, a psychologist in, coming from New Zealand called David Grove, and he worked with uh, as a psychologist. He worked with um, trauma patients, and he realised that when people described their situations, they often did so using metaphor. Mm-hmm. Now, you remember, Amy, that whenever we're talking about anything that's abstract or complicated, um, we'll often revert to metaphor because it's really, metaphor is how our brain makes sense of the world and therefore it's how we think and it's therefore logical that the, the words that come out of our mouth are often metaphor. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about how psychologists often work, they, they may well um, listen to people and then provide some interpretation. And what de- was different about David Grove is that he realized that um, by staying really faithful to the metaphors of the people he was working with, and by asking very simple questions directed at those metaphors, directed at the exact words that people used, um, it directed attention. If you like to use a metaphor, it shone light on their inner world. Uh-huh. And exploring that more carefully, they were able to get all sorts of interesting insights and find resolution more quickly than through using other means. Fascinating. Um, now, to put you on the spot here, you may or may not have an example, though I am always enjoy hearing examples of how it's applied. Does David offer, uh, or do you have something from his work that you could share with us? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, so David Grove, very sadly, suddenly died in 2008. And oh. David was a fascinating man. He was a constant innovator. He was always experimenting with different approaches and, and very um, much in the experiential domain of learning for life. And he he has left a legacy of one book that was written by somebody who said, hey, we've got to really write some of this stuff down and um, understand how to use it. And actually, you'll see behind behind me here, there's a book called Metaphors in Mind. And this was written by two um, psychotherapists from the UK, James Lawley and Penny Tompkins. Uh-huh. And James and Penny, along with others at the time who really worked with David in this very experiential way, um, they have actually helped to codify what it was about clean language that was special and ah. to put it down in a format that is readily available and, and has translated it from the therapeutic world to all sorts of different domains. Um, so what was interesting is that James and Penny were originally um, trained in NLP, so neuro-linguistic programming, and they were interested in modeling how David worked. And Mm -hmm. so they really found what were the things that he did that worked super well and what, and how could that be perhaps replicated by other people? And so they have this book and an incredible website. I'll give you some details about later, where there's a whole ton of um, amazing and freely available resources to look at. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, I think it would be a good moment for us to do a bit of a recap on metaphors, even though you and I had an entire dis- delicious <laughs> discussion about them. Um, for listeners that are tuning in now, wh- how would you describe that in more detail for them to have capture the concepts? Yeah, absolutely. So um, metaphor, do we remember from metaphor from school days? It's really when we talk about one thing in terms of another. So um, if I say, um, if I want to say Amy is great, I can say that, but it would be quite normal for me to say Amy for me is a ray of sunshine um, because you bring joy and vivacity to to, to life. and, um, And so the sunshine, of course, is a metaphor. And metaphors are so common. Do you remember, Amy, how many metaphors we use a minute? I'm putting you on the spot. Six. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I was so shocked by that, that yes, I remember. By what my one of my PhD supervisors, Paul Tozy, he did some research to really look at this. And, and yes, they established that we as human beings, ordinary human beings, we use up to six metaphors a minute. So we may not notice we're using them. Right. Um, and yet we do it on a very regular basis. And so one of the things I suggested last time we talked was it can be great to when you tune into your favorite um, radio show like Voice America or um, your Netflix show is to listen carefully to the metaphors that you hear people using. And you'll be amazed at how how they um, percolate. There's a metaphor yeah. uh, percolate through through life because they are the way that the brain thinks. We learn anything new, um, anything new or abstract by taking knowledge from something that we understand and we know well and applying it to that new area. And so they are fundamental to how we, how we think and how we act in the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know when you and I were talking recently about this, you talked about um, the, something, this metaphor of the rider and the elephant. Mm. Would you go into more detail about that? Yeah, that's a that's a lovely metaphor, and it comes from um, the author Jonathan Haidt. I hope that's how I say his name correctly. Jonathan Haidt. He wrote the Happiness Hypotheses, and uh, that's a great read for anybody who's interested in how 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 we can become happy. And the Happiness Hypothesis. Hypothesis. Nice. Okay. And in that, he starts his book really with a metaphor, and the metaphor he uses is of the elephant and the rider. And he says that the elephant is our unconscious brain and the rider is the conscious part of the brain. Well, if you can just close your eyes for a moment and imagine the size of an elephant and the size of a rider, you get probably like me, a fairly visual impression of how big the elephant is and how small the rider is. And he says, really, it's a great metaphor for how our mind makes sense of things, i.e. the rider is always um, this little thing trying to master um, this this much larger um, animal, the the elephant. And that's an interesting metaphor for how prevalent metaphor is actually in in our minds and in our Mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to you? Yeah, and what is coming out is that the unconscious mind is just so much more, um, has so much more influence and power over us than we can imagine. And that it over can also override the conscious mind a lot of the time, if 
it so desires. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, that's correct. And of course, because it's so, so um, prevalent um, and so large, we often use words in a way, in ways in which we're not so conscious of them. So it's a great reminder to, uh, um, to be perhaps more attentive to the ways in which we are using words and language. Because mm-hmm. the clean language is helping us to unveil, uh, uh, oh, no, uh, uh, un- unveil. I just made up a word, unveil <laughs> what's happening in the unconscious mind. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why is, that's one example. What, why else is clean language useful? What are some reasons? So clean language is useful for a number of reasons. I think the first and foremost is um, that we all see the world differently. You and I are both wearing our glasses, we, we, and yet we all wear lenses through which we see the world. And mm. so we're, we will all see the world differently, and yet we often assume that we see the world in the same way. Um, and Yes. Does that make sense? We, oh, my gosh. And it gets me in trouble so much, that assumption. It? Yeah. I think, and it gets many people in, in, into trouble very often is that, so I could say you and I, we might, I might have an assumption that we see things in a similar way. We're in a similar line of work. We're both quite little ladies. Um, you know, we both have a focus on communication. There's a number of overlaps. And so it's very easy for me to then perhaps assume that we see the world differently, yet we don't. And so clean language is a way of really inquiring into the different ways that we see the world. So another way I would say it is it assumes the uniqueness of each brain. Yeah, that's a lovely way of saying it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it really assumes the uniqueness of each brain and um, and then gets curious about, about those brains. So should, would you like to try something? Yeah. And before that, the, I yeah. love that word curious because it means that it's moving out of judgment and right wrong. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about curiosity and right and wrong in a minute, um, because it's. I think that we could talk for an hour in, in itself about curiosity and judgment, and and that's one of the great things that clean language does. Is it it um, because of the way the small number of questions, and because of the way of asking the questions, it really helps us to take the judgment out of the way we ask questions, and and questions are often not very neutral um, because of the way we ask them, because of different responses we have to questions and, and the associations that we may have about questions. Um, questions are not neutral. And so maybe we can we can have a little bit of time thinking about the lack of neutrality of questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So yes, you want to, we're going to test something out. What are we going to do? Yeah. So I thought let, let's test, um, let's just show, how different we all are. So we could take a very simple example and say, okay, let's both of us think of something that's um, quite everyday, quite ordinary. So Amy, let's you and I think of a flower. Okay. Okay. Have you got a flower? I do. Okay. Can you describe the flower for me? Uh, Yes. It's a sunflower and it's got a large brown center with lots of little, um, I guess, I don't know if they're called seeds or little bits popping up. And then these long, bright yellow petals surrounding it. And it's fairly circular and they can be quite large compared to other flowers. Hmm. Okay. And it's a sunflower, nice round 
um, center with lots of brown seeds. And, um, and how big is that sunflower? Oh, it uh, can be the ones I'm used to seeing are maybe four or five inches across. Okay. So relatively big, four or five inches across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I when I say think of a flower, the first flower that came into my mind was actually also a yellow flower, but it was a buttercup. Mm-hmm. And um, so little, very bright um, yellow flower. Um, but in terms of in terms of the the flower, um, tiny, um, bright golden yellow comes up at a different time of year. Why am I asking us that question? Because if I said, let's talk about flowers, we both get that image in our head of thinking of a flower, and then we continue with the conversation. Now, of course, thinking about flowers is pretty easy, but if this was thinking about something like communication or leadership or parenting, the same thing happens. We both get that image in our head of the the, the buttercup or the sunflower to use those those names as proxies and then we have the conversation assuming that we're thinking about the same thing and so one of the things that with clean language oh. is it helps us to kind of really understand that we're talking about quite different um, pictures in our head even though we might be talking about the same uh, top line of mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. on the conversation okay yeah this makes perfect sense and this is um for me, I talk a lot with my clients about the danger of making assumptions and people think, well, I'll just stop making them. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's how the brain works. I'm pretty sure their assumptions are here to stay. So it's being aware that we're making assumptions and then asking the questions. And you're now going to be leading us into this, um, not just any question, making them clean questions. I mean, heck, if we're going to put in the time and energy to ask a question, why not uh, make them produce the best re- information possible or have the best impact possible. Yes, that's right. That's right. Okay. And perhaps before we do that, should we come back to this idea of curiosity that you read? Yes. You've mentioned. Yes. Um, so I love the word curiosity and I love, I love all aspects of curiosity really. And, um, and yet there's a really rather scary statistic if we think about curiosity in, in organizations. There's a big gap between um, the people at the top of organizations who believe that there's a lot of curiosity, that has a, they have a lot of scope to be curious and ask, ask questions in organizations, and the people lower down in organizations who often say, we don't have that much scope to be curious. So I think some research done um, and published in the Harvard Business Review said 83% of senior leaders think that there's a lot of curiosity in organizations. And yet only 50% of people think that there's a there's enough curiosity in in, in, in organizations. 50% of people below managerial level. So, so people below the managerial level mm-hmm. of that, of that, those people, only 50% thinking that there's enough curiosity that's that open to them in the organization okay so what's going on here i mean a couple of things seem to strike me one is that perhaps the the senior people you see i'm even sitting as i think senior i i do the metaphor i make myself bigger (laughs) yes i'm listening now and um, that's funny you were saying this oh okay go on yeah how how just words can impact how we respond Right. So I say senior and I, I lift my chest <laughs> up and I, and I sit up to make myself 
even taller than my normal five foot average. Um, and, and so they, they give themselves permission to ask questions. And yet, and yet people lower down in the organization are not feeling they have the same permission to be curious and ask questions and challenge the status quo, because that's the other thing about curiosity. Whilst it, it leads to all sorts of great innovations, it's part of creativity, it can also be quite challenging when people are curious. And so that may also account for this, this lack of curiosity in organizations. Mm-hmm. Wow. So one of the fascinating things about about curiosity is it's actually the skill that underlines us learning all sorts of competencies as as we take up leadership roles in organizations. So it's really important. So if there's a gap, it's pretty, pretty vital. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that people are asking questions. You know, I I spaced out for a second when you said that. Can you say that again? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, honestly, tr- moment of truth. <laughs> no, so I say um, because of there is this gap of curiosity in in, in organisations. I think yeah. a large part of that is the way that people are actually um, learning to ask questions, and many leaders are ah, okay. leading questions for which right. there is perhaps a perceived right answer. Right, and therefore they think they're being open and asking for more information, and yet perhaps on the receiving end of that, um, others are not feeling that they have the same um, scope to answer the questions from their own perspective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's so it's the important thing in organizations. Yeah, it's it's channeling it or driving them. So it's a missed opportunity because yeah. they're not using the full creative. Uh, bandwidth that that employee has because they're wanting to direct it maybe for wanting to save money or um, concerned it could be unrealistic or that they're just simply unconscious that they're doing that. Yeah. I can see myself. I'm guilty of that in coaching sessions. Sometimes I'll ask questions that are, and I'm just going for something that I think makes sense or the way I think we should go or, or sometimes I'm doing it. I ask a leading question to impress the coachee, like, oh, let me show you how clever I am. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, true confession. It's a great admission that I think all of us do, Amy. And mm. I think that the more senior you are in organizations, the more it's likely that you are feeling a certain pressure, whether where that comes from, whether it's yourself or the organization, to show your expertise. Right. And so it's not uncommon for people to want to show their expertise. And often questions, particularly those for which we don't have an answer, don't really show our expertise. And so we may then ask leading questions like saying, this is going really well, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you see there are two Just ways. That we- right at the end. That that question was leading in two ways. First of all, I tell you what I think. This is going really well. So, okay, uh, disagree with me if you dare. And then I have the right on the end of it. It's like, disagree with me if you dare. And you're either really brave or really foolish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a great... Not said to mock anybody, but to to really say how much we're... Many of us are asking questions that lead us back to our own ways of making sense of the world. Right. And how important it is as leaders that extra responsibility leaders have to um, be aware of what their position of power, how can how that can impact people Mm -hmm. um, and how risky that can be. Yes. So 
I'm curious to know, um, we're going to go to break in a few minutes. So before we do, Heather, I'd like to know for whom this is useful, what context this would apply. Yeah. um, So I think that clean language is something that we can apply in all sorts of different different contexts. And um, you can can apply it as as a friend um with with to just be more more open in terms of the way you're asking questions we can use it i'm a parent and i use it a lot with my with my girls um because it's a way of inquiring without intruding yes. and so in that sense it the inquiry without intrusion i, I like that i just said it out loud for the first time but the inquiry without include uh, intrusion um makes it more um, palatable for us to ask questions um, of curiosity to other people. Now, in terms of applications in, in, in the world more broadly, clean language has been used in all sorts of ways. Um, one of the earliest pieces of um, uh, clean language in an organization was done by Caitlin Walker working with the police who wanted to ask less leading questions. Now, you can imagine the police have to interview all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons. Right. It's very important that when you're asking witnesses um, questions that you're not leading them to your preconceived answers. And so you think of, of that as an application, asking police to ask less leading questions. So that's one particular um, uh, application in which it's that can have possible. huge impacts. Absolutely. Yeah, you think about the impact of that. Wow, and and I guess um, yeah, I can really see how this is the opportunity to minimize bias because it's you know a bonus that encourages respect for the other person's point of view, their appreciation, difference, diversity, the way people think, and yes. then and then this reduces the risk of leading them down a path that is not accurate. Yeah, that's that's very true. And there's um there's a lot of work that's been done using clean language with people who are neurodiverse. Mm. The people who are neurodiverse um think and perceive the ways in 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 the world in different ways. And there's a, a lovely organization in the UK called Genius Within, run by mm-hmm. um, Nancy Doyle. And she she has done a lot of work in clean language. And they use this as a way of inquiring into the experience of people whose mindsets are perhaps a little different from what other people might say is normal. So right. neurodiversity, it's used in schools and education. Um, it's used in health settings. Um, and it's been used in academia as well in terms of uh, research uh, so very much used in a wide number of different settings. And I'm guessing, maybe we can talk about more of this when we, when we come back from break, though, the idea that using it within intimate relationships and within families and partners and children, reducing that likelihood of, of going to conflict unintentionally. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's absolutely true, that it's a great way of, of, of trying to move away from um, conflict. So there's... Um, with, Let's talk about the book after the break. But um, uh, one of the chapter authors in our book has used clean language enormously in conflict situations, in very, very difficult conflict situations. Wow. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So, listeners, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more about this clean language. Though, in the meantime, if you want to find out more about Heather, you can connect with her directly on LinkedIn. And I'm going to spell out her first and family name. Heather is 
H-E-A-T-H-E-R, and then C-A-I-R-N-S-L-E-E. Her book that she's contributed to is called Clean Language Interviewing, coming out next year. We'll talk more about that later. Now, listeners, if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, you can join me online for my Leadership Presence course. You'll find out more details on my website, carolcoaching.com. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. My guest today is Dr. Heather Cairns Lee. We've been discussing what is clean language, why it matters. And Heather, before we jump back into it and go into more detail, I'd love to hear more about the book that you co-authored on clean language. Yes, thanks for asking, Amy. Um, so right now, I am co co-editing a book with um, James Lawley and Paul Paul Tozy. Um, so both of whom I worked with on my PhD thesis and who are leading authorities on on clean language. And we have we are putting together a book which has chapters on all sorts of different applications of clean language, specifically with relation to interviewing. So using clean language as an interviewing um, approach. So whether that be interviewing in um, nuclear facilities where you're you're looking at um, incidents, fatality incidents, or you're looking at using clean language with neurodiverse um, people, looking at it with um, how to use it in conflict or in education. So a whole range of, of different 
different um, applications. And as well, Paul, James and I are really outlining the principles and practice of clean language interviewing. So that will be published by Emerald in um, the early summer in 2022. So I will put some more details about that on LinkedIn in 2022. Well, congratulations in advance. That's very cool. Yeah, thanks a lot. So let's talk more about how to use clean language. So for the listeners, how would they be able to weave it into their world? Yeah, okay. Metaphor. <laughs> yeah, we need a little symbol, you know, like a, a little bell. No. <laughs> like that one. Metaphor. <laughs> so I, I think of clean language as really um, something that has four steps. So if I make it simple, four is something that's often easy to remember. Um, so, so what are those four steps? It starts with listening really, really carefully. So step one is listening really, really carefully. Step two is using the word and. I'm going to explain why that's important. So step two is using the word and. Step three is um, repeating what somebody said. And step four is asking a clean question. So does that make sense? Four steps. Listen, use and, use the other person's words. And the question. And then the question. Okay. So um, why do we do that? So the first thing is listening. And um, we we often say that in all sorts of forms of coaching and conversations, we need to listen. What's a little bit different about uh, clean language is that when we've listened, we say, and. Now, there's a couple of reasons that we do that. If you say, and, if you you go back to your your image of the flower and you say it's like a sunflower, and I say, and, a sunflower. What does that and do? Building. It's ex- yeah. it's a, it feels a sense of acceptance. Exactly. It, that's exactly what it is. It's a sense of acceptance and sort of tells, it's a signal to your nervous system. You can, you can relax. She's on your wow. side. She's agreeing with you. She's listening to you. Even if I haven't remembered everything, she's listening to you. And it's as if both of us can take a breath and take in the information. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And it also slows us both down. So because often we talk quickly, we think quickly, our brain thinks much more quickly than we can speak. I think our brain thinks at something like 800 words a minute, 600 words a minute, but we, we speak at like 250 words a minute. So it allows our brains and our mouths to catch up with each other. (laughs) That's always a good thing. It's a good thing. So we listen carefully, we say, and, and then we repeat some of what somebody said. Now, of course, we're not going to do this in, in a monotonic parrot fashion, um, but in a tone of, of curiosity and acceptance, because the tone of voice, as you know, being the expert you are on communication, matters enormously, as much as the words. So we're repeating the words, and we're doing so in a tone that's accepting and curious. Okay. And that does a couple of things as well, because that allows the other person to hear what they've said. Now, there's a wonderful mm-hmm. phrase um, by Carl Weick, who is one of the um, leading authorities in sense-making in the world. And sense-making, as, as the name suggests, how we make sense of the world. And one of the things he said is, how do I know what I think until I hear what I say? Yeah. How do I know what I think? until I hear what I say. And yet often we don't 
pause long enough to really hear what we've said. Yeah. So part of clean language, what the joy of the clean language is that somebody else sort of helps you to hear what you've said by repeating your words. Yeah. And then it's because, like you, it, go makes, ahead. it makes me think it's like you get to enjoy your dessert twice. <laughs> <laughs> A lovely metaphor. Absolutely. <laughs> One is eating it and two is talking about it afterwards. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Huh. So, um, so listen and repeat. And then we ask a clean question. Okay. And clean questions are, they're, they're, why are they clean? They're clean because um, they have all the dirty elements taken away. I, what, what is a clean question? Is It's focusing on the other person. It's directing their attention to a part of their experience so that they can find out more about it. And mm-hmm. if we're directing our attention to somebody else's experience, then we need to keep our own stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, to use a metaphor, we're muddying their stuff with all of mm-hmm. our stuff. So for the dirty, the metaphor of the of the term dirty language. Okay. Yeah. So so the metaphor of clean language was used because it, it cleanses the language of anything that comes from the outside and it keeps the attention directed on the person to whom or with whom you're talking. Mm-hmm. And if you want the, the sort of technical version of that, um, they're, they're really reduced to semantic primes, which are like the, the absolute, the minimum way that we can we can communicate. So they're really reduced down to the bare bones of um, how we can how we can communicate, and that's what they contain: a certain universal logic, and uh, they're very simple questions, and they're just focused on really you finding out some more about uh, something that's important to you. Excellent. Wow, that's um, powerful. So this that last part about asking the clean question. So um, I don't know what to ask next. Um, but, well, actually, there is a question I have in the back of my mind, Heather. Mm-hmm. Knowing how many years have you been studying clean language? That's my first question for you. Ten years. And in those ten years, I'm I'm what? And so this is probably not a clean question. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's okay. So, so sometimes unclean questions are also, it's not that we should never, never have them. It's no. just maybe being aware of it. Um, I'm curious to know how studying clean language has impacted the way you think and interact with people. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And um, I, I think that what you've just said makes me think of the benefit of any question, whether they're clean or not, is that questions engage the brain, don't they? So as soon as you ask me a question, I start thinking, okay, so how can I answer that? And it makes me start thinking. So um, I would say two two big things. One is I think my level of listening has improved exponentially. And I felt when I came to Clean Language 10 years ago that I was a pretty good listener because I'd been coaching um, executives at IMD Business School and and in other places for for 20 years. So my listening was pretty good. Um, and what I've learned is, is that it's gone up exponentially because the precise words that people use really matter. Uh-huh. And I've got a sensitivity to that now that um, perhaps I didn't have before. Should I give you a little example? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so let me give you an example that brings it to life. And it's um, so eight, several years ago, um, we had eight kittens at home, four cats, eight kittens, 
we, we were family cat and um, it was driving my poor, poor husband mad because he hadn't quite signed up for this, um, his life adventure. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> and my mother um, came to stay and she saw these delightful, beautiful little kittens. And she said to me, gosh, Heather, how are you going to get rid of all of those kittens? And I had a very strong reaction to this, get rid of the kittens, because if you think of it, it's a metaphor. And there are all sorts of associations that we get that come to mind unbidden when we think of getting rid of kittens. I'm not going to go into that. Um, And I said, I'm not going to get rid of the kittens. And she said, what do you mean? You can't possibly keep eight kittens. I said, no, I'm not going to get rid of them. I'm going to find all of them loving homes. Mm -hmm. And so and I did, and the story has a happy ending. So in, in many ways, that's great. And it's a, an example that really stays with me because um, that word was such a trigger. And I had to really kind of manage and translate that into, no, I'm not going to get rid of them. I'm actually going to find them loving homes. And so that's the power of words that they can really trigger strong reactions in people. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. And then the other thing, the other way that studying this has made a big difference is I'm particularly interested in how questions can be leading. And so this is something that James and Paul and I have done quite some work in. And there are three key ways that questions can be leading. So this is perhaps useful for listeners to hear about is one way is when we introduce our own content into asking a question, because in a way that's like dragging someone onto our map of the world and saying, no, 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 reinforce my perspective of the world. So, and we do it all the time and it's, it's nothing wrong with it. It's just going back to what you were saying earlier. It's helpful to be aware of how often we might be um, working with our own assumptions. The mm-hmm. second um, area in which questions are, are really leading is they often have presuppositions in them. Now, presuppositions is, is facts or knowledge that has to be true for the rest of the sentence to make sense. So if I say to you, um, Amy, did you, enjoy, um, um, did you enjoy your dinner? Did you enjoy your lunch today? I'm presupposing that you've had lunch. Now, that that may be a fairly innocuous presupposition, but in in other cases, and you can think about some of the examples I've mentioned, then those presuppositions can be quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's a wonderful study um, that was done many, many years ago now by Loftus and Palmer that showed showed the power of this at work, that um, the power of words and and presuppositions, that they showed um, a video of people, uh, they showed people a video of um, a car that had had an accident. And they, they then did a couple of experiments with that. One was they changed the words they used um, to ask people to guesstimate what speed the car was going. So, for example, if I said to you, Amy, um, how fast do you think the car was going when it smashed into the other car? Mm. If I said, how fast do you think the car was going when it touched the other car? Mm-hmm. Think about the difference that's likely to make to people. And even the word, even the word "fast," Amy. What it, it, even? What about this one, Amy? What speed do you think the car was going when it made contact with? <laughs> Perfect. My gosh, you are an absolute expert at this. You see, the presupposition was is is there? How fast do you think the car was going? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
what speed do you think it was going? Beautiful example of a clean question. You want to find out some information, but you're stripping out of it everything that could be leading. Mm-hmm. 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 So, yeah. And the yeah. third reason, let me just come to the third reason um, that how questions can be really leading is when we add our, our own evaluation or opinion into the questions as well. So like the example I gave earlier, and I say, right, you know, and I'm pulling you into, mm-hmm. into agreeing with me. Or going back to the example with your mom that she was uh, assuming or maybe her opinion was that you should um, do some should not keep the cats. She maybe was even um, there was an assumption there and an opinion woven in that because maybe you were planning to keep them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you're super, super hot on this subject, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness, man. Okay, so, um, you know, you talk about the the percentage of questions, um, you know, I'm curious to know what what, what they sound like, what kind of, what what kind of, how do clean questions, are there a certain way to formulate them? I guess that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, so the, 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 I mean, there's a number of, a very small number of questions. So I think David Grove talked about 12 questions. And really, um, if, if people want to learn just two questions that can be really super helpful um, for, for asking, asking more cleanly, um, there's a couple of things that can be really useful. The first is, is um, in, in many coachings or in, around the family dinner and pet table, you might say, oh, what do you want to do? Or what do you want to talk about? Well, that presupposes you might want to do something or talk about something. So a great question to starting a conversation is to say, and what would you like to have happen? So during this time. Yeah, during this time or during during our interview or um, tomorrow or during our coaching session or whatever. Mm. And the great thing about that question is, is really it, it asks people to focus on what they would like to have happen. So what they would yes. like. Yes. And have happen means it can come out that what they can, they might want to talk, they might want to feel, they might want to think. They, so it's not presupposing that they want to feel about something or think about something. So it, it, mm. it offers a very broad way of answering that particular question. And ha- so let me see if I got it right. And how, ha- and what and would you, what like, would to you ha- like to have, have happen. happen? And what would you like to have happen during this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, a great way for starting conversations. And then another, um, maybe something that we could, we could try together is to think about um, using clean language to find out more about something that you're particularly good at. So for example, if you, if we were to ask you, um, you know, something about improv, which I know is a a subject close to your heart. Yes. I always have to talk about improv. (laughs) um, And you wanted to find out what you're like. When you're at your best doing improv, I could ask you, hmm, so Amy, and when you're doing improv at your best, mm. that's like what? So should we do a little, try a little demo? And then I'm just yeah. going to ask two questions. And they're really, they're clean language questions. We can weave them into most parts of conversation um, and you'll hear them. It's, is there anything else about and what kind of and we'll just do, just see where that goes, and um, then we can talk about those questions. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, so, Amy, when you're doing improv at your best, that's like what? 
um, that's like um, bathing in warm chocolate. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just delicious and it's easy and it's fun. And it's comfortable and it tastes good. <laughs> and improv for you. So let me let me demo what we would do. Remember, so I'm listening very carefully. And improv for you is like bathing in warm chocolate, and it's tasty <laughs> and it's delicious. And is there anything else in that bathing in warm chocolate? Um, it feels safe and easy and. Um, Yeah. There's a flow. Oh boy. There we go. It, it really feels very much. They talk about that flow. That's, ah. that's definitely the case. Yeah. Okay. And it feels easy and safe and there's a flow. Mm-hmm. And what kind of flow is that flow? Um, that flow is, it, it's like there's, um, it can go on for a long time. It can sustain me. It uh, can invite others in. Yeah. Mm. And that flow can go on for a long time and it can sustain you. And it can go on, uh, it can go on for a long time. Um, and it can uh, we bring others in. Bring others in. Yeah. Okay. And is something else about that bringing others in when you're doing improv at your best? Oh gosh, it's that is so joyful because especially if I'm um, doing it with unsuspecting people, mm-hmm. like there's the there's the performance improv I do with right. my co actors, and that's really fun and joyful, and to see them spontaneously respond to me. And then there's sometimes like what I'm, you might, you know, street improv (laughs) where I'm just in a grocery store or I'm um, talking with a service provider on the phone and I'm improvising in that exchange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, I'm aware that we are, you know, coming towards the end of our time together. So let me just ask you a couple of questions to reflect on on that. Okay. So what did you notice about the questions? What did you notice about the experience? Though, yeah, the experience, I found it um, energizing and um, it, it made me curious and inspired me to think about, um, to have new thoughts about this. Ah, Okay. And it made you curious about your own experience. And it also made me like want to do it more, right? Be more aware of it when I'm doing it, when that, to see when that flow happens. Right. Okay. And, and I think what you're saying is really typical of the great benefits of clean language, because under a million years, I could never have come up with the idea that um, improv is bathing in warm chocolate. <laughs> me neither I didn't really see that coming so was that a surprise for you yeah and yet so fitting <laughs> and and what did that that's one of the the wonderful things about it is that people come up with the most improbable metaphors to describe their experience and then it's very important I just want to draw attention to one thing never to laugh at somebody's metaphor mm. 
I, I was giggling with you. Uh, yes, I hope you could feel that. the with, not totally. the end. And it's totally. very, very important because our metaphors, words are so precious. And, and it comes back to that idea of not being judgmental about somebody else, but to really accept the whole experience and say, and improv is like bathing in warm chocolate. And what's important about that? Or, and yeah. is there anything else about that? And you can see that the way I was asking you the questions, I hope, was to give attention to all parts of your experience. I wasn't only giving attention to one part or another. The tone of voice is pretty important in terms of saying, I'm curious about this. I accept this and I'm curious. And And I felt like you were matching the tone. Right. And that's really important to match the tone Um, and and, and the pace as well. Yeah. Uh, to ask questions in a way that's slow enough that helps people to think, but also to match the kind of style of the other person. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Heather, that was very fun. Nice surprise for me. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right. We're just about out of time. So Heather, before I let you go, do you have a call for action that you'd like to share with listeners? A call for action. I would um, love people to really try and use those two two questions much more often is to say, and is there anything else about that? Um, because that there nearly always is. People nearly always have something more to say. And the more we get out of our way by keeping all of our own stuff and interpretations to ourselves and inquiring a bit further into somebody's experience, um, the more they're likely to find out more about themselves, feel accepted by us, and we're likely to find out some good stuff too. Yeah, great. And maybe um, what was one of those books that you would recommend? The yeah, one- I would thoroughly recommend, well, Clean Language, Revealing Metaphors and Opening Minds is a very good um, beginning guide to um, um, clean language. Um, but I would suggest Metaphors in Mind by James Lawley and Penny Tompkins and their site um, in the UK, Clean Language. If you just Google Clean Language UK, then you will get to their site. And there's a huge amount of resources that are there and available. Wonderful. Okay, great. And listeners, my call for action for you is to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, and blunders and your successes. You can do that via email or through my social media. I'll read them. I'll discuss them on future shows and make suggestions. And you can reach me at my email, amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's, two L's. You can reach Heather again on LinkedIn, Heather Karensley, C-A-I-R-N-E-S-L-E-E. Be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up, and be inspired next week for another episode of Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Check out information on my website or my social media channels, Amy Carroll Coaching. And if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's show. Thank you, Heather. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Amy. It was a pleasure. Great. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.